Okay, so this is uh, the second episode of the Aqua Vitae uh, podcast, and we're here with Jesse. How do you pronounce your last name? Jesse Andriozzi. Jesse Andriozzi. Mm-hmm. And you're the new brand ambassador at Freecon. Is it Freecon Farms or Freecon Cidery? Because I've heard Freecon Cidery. Uh, there's Freecon Farm is the actual farm itself, and then yeah. Freecon Cidery is the cidery company. And how did you um, – the reason I met you right outside of uh, Nosh – Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I always, I wanted to, to meet with you more because a lot of bartenders are very serious and I always, I always look for like the oceans 11 bartenders that have like, like that have like the, can you believe how much fun we're <laughs> having sort of look in their eye, but you just seemed like you had a, a special something. So I'm like, what does this guy do? And then I talked to you and I knew Sam who was the old I guess brand ambassador, mm-hmm. and he went on to open uh, Founding Fathers, and you're like, "Well, I'm the new Sam," and I was like, "Great, let's <laughs> let's talk about this more." So, how did you? So, tell me about like I guess your background. When did you get into the industry, and then how did you end up with with these guys? Uh, I got in the industry at a pretty young age, uh, 18. I started bar backing, uh, yeah. and I got completely engrossed in uh, the restaurant industry, and just wanted to learn more as much as I can, learn and know everything. Uh, then I got really, really into beer, um, and then I worked at a Belgian beer bar for years. Uh, I brewed my own beer over the years, uh, and then I managed a bar for a while, uh, and then eventually I found my way to the cidery, um, kind of serendipitously. I applied for a different cidery, and, um, which is also a really good cidery, uh, and I called these guys for a reference because I knew them, and they said, well, you can work for us. And I said, <laughs> awesome. So that's kind of how I came to be at this cidery. Yeah. And how do you, um, cider's grown, I think it's one of the fastest growing categories uh, over the last few years. Why do you think, they, they think it's going to grow until it hits like the mass that Europe has hit. So there's a difference between how popular cider is in Europe, how popular it is in the US. Why do you think it's grown so much? Why do you think it's been so popular? Because they tried to do it like 10 years ago. They tried to market cider to men. It didn't work and now it's working. What do you think changed? Why are people drinking more of this stuff? And how does being in Pennsylvania affect what we're doing? Because I know the laws here are a little bit. The laws are very weird. We'll definitely get to that. Um, But the cider industry as a whole has got a bit of resurgence. Uh, mainly because the cideries themselves are producing a better quality product. Uh, they're trying to produce an artisanal cider, not just a mass-produced cider. So they're really trying to make a little craft movement for themselves, trying to make a good cider. Uh, and then therefore people start to drink it and people start to follow it. Uh, and it's really blown up recently in the past few years. Um, some of the bigger companies have really put some marketing behind it, but really the, the small companies have really popped up. The little family-owned orchards have started producing and, and came up and the, uh, when a good product's good, people find it, people talk about it, you know, with the way the internet now is, people blog about it and it gets out there very quickly. One of, one of the reasons I wanted to, to bring a, a cider person in is because I was reading somewhere that apples have twice the amount of DNA that people do. And this is why even when you go to like Acme, there's like a bunch of different kinds of apples and there's hundreds and like it's, it's much more than malt or grain or something. So you've got a lot of different materials and things to work with, even more than grapes. How do you guys make the decision of, of what apples are we going to use? And I think there's three sort of types of apples that you guys use primarily, right? Uh, we use a whole lot of apples, but yeah, there's three kind of types. Um, but in general, like we use... Um, 
we grow on our apples ourselves. Um, it was an orchard first. Um, so they were growing all these apples for, um, you know, for farmer's markets, for grocery stores, for, for eating, uh, and then became doing cider apples. Um, and we use a whole different blend of different ones, and, we, and each of our ciders is a different blend of cider apples. Um, so, I mean, like, but just like you're saying, it's DNA, just the different apples are different where they grew up. So, like, the apples, the same Macintosh apples that we grow aren't going to be the same as California apples. Um, even though they're the same variety, it's, it's all in the area. Now, how important is, like, because uh, I think with grapes and stuff, the more edible it is, mm -hmm. the, the less good the wine is because the level of acid really affects the flavor. And especially with apples where you have malic acid, you have citric acid. How does it work? Like, can you actually make a good cider out of apples that you eat? Because when, a lot of stuff that I was reading, it was like, no, that's not what you want to do. But I think you guys do a good job with that. So how do you guys approach that? Well, there's a bunch of different things going on there. So like a lot of the cider apples that we use aren't something you would eat. Um, you can, but they're not very good. I mean, they're great apples, but they're by themselves. Um, so we do a blend. So there are a lot of our apples that we use are apples that we use, but we also blend it with like something like crab apple where you wouldn't really eat that. Um, but it ends up balancing out really well. And how do you... Um... Where do you where do you see the market going in the next few years? And and you guys have grown a lot, right, over the mm -hmm. last like year or two. How do you scale it up? How do you handle the challenges of 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 growing like that? And where can we get your product also? Okay, uh, well, the, we just are growing as fast as we can. Um, we're barely keeping up with the market. You know, we're trying to just make sure we're in the right places at the you know the right customers, the right people. Um, and we're ramping up production as fast as we can. We're putting back all the money that we make right back into it to grow production for next year. Uh, places that you can get our cider in the city, um, if you're trying to buy bottles of it, they have it at a lot of bottle shops, particularly the foodery. Um, on tap, um, there's multiple bars. You can find it on Philly Tap Finder. It'll tell you exactly where at the time. Um, but the kind of bars that have it are um, like Jose Pistola's. Omos always has it. Um, all the trias, um, they just added a cider line to every tria, um, so we're in rotation there. Uh, and then just other craft beer bars. A lot of the craft beer bars are starting to have one or two designated cider lines where they're doing a lot of artisanal ciders, um, hopefully local ciders. So if I'm getting in and I've had um, a couple like mangers or something, I've had a couple sort of generic ciders. and how do I get started with artisanal brands? How do I know what an artisanal brand is if I'm at the foodery or whatever? Mm -hmm. And then what do I look for when I'm tasting them? Are they going to be a sweet? Are they going to be like, how are they going to be different from sort of the generic Stella or mangoes or something? A lot of them are a lot drier. Um, typically, like we ferment all the way out. So it, it becomes a, a much drier product. Um, like it's not as sweet as some of the uh, commercial products out there. But then we also have ciders that are slightly sweet. Um, again, not nearly as sweet, but you know it, there is a balance, uh, and there's all sorts of different ciders for all diff different palates. So if you want a dry cider, we have really dry one, and then there's ones that are a bit stronger and a touch of honey. Um, so there's all sorts of different flavor profiles that are there. Very cool. And which of the ciders that you brought sort of today do you think is the best to start with, or which one is the most approachable or the most popular? I would go with our the Early Man. Um, that's one of our flagship ciders. Uh, it's a, a 
Are you out of things? Yeah, I always have a thing. Every bartender is like MacGyver. It's a light body, the state cider. Um, it has all the early apples of the season. Um, a Macintosh. Or, I'm sorry. Uh, Windsnap and a bunch of different apple blends in there. Um, so it's really just, it's all the early apples of the season. Um, kind of the end of summer. Uh, this is the first one they've produced of the year. Um, comes out really nice. Pretty dry. So I'll give everyone a try here. Uh, oh, here. You can take one, too. Oh. No, I think the people sitting in chairs are under. Who's over 21? So the first thing you're going to notice is the carbonation. Um, very tight bubbles, very very carbonated. Uh, it's not forced carb, that's, it's completely natural carbonation. Uh, and it, it's very champagne-like. Uh, yeah, it's not particularly a champagne yeast, but very champagne-like. Is it like, what's the difference in, do you, I don't know if you know this, what's the difference between like a cider that's dry like this and then like a very sweet cider from a calorie standpoint, or how does, is it a big difference, or it's not so much because of the alcohol? Uh, it, it, it all depends on the cider and how much it's produced out. Uh, most of our sugar is completely fermented out, um, so it's little to no sugar content, um, but that's not the same on some of the commercial brands. Um, the exact calorie count, we never really got a firm answer on. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, uh, I think it's good for you. <laughs> how, how's the carb count? <laughs> yeah, it's always the first thing we're worrying about now. I have some too. I, we, were just on, we were just on TV, and whenever you're on TV, you lose any uh, any lies that you tell yourself when you look in the mirror. Yes. So now we're very, uh, we're very OCD. Me and Andrew both. Um, so do you, um, do you if, you're, if you're going into sort of doing cocktails with it, uh, mm -hmm. Where would you start, and what are some of the, I guess, cider cocktails that you like, or where, if you're if you're a bartender, you're trying to work this into your menu, uh, what would you do first? Like, let's say you have a dry cider like this. Um, there's multiple directions you can go with it. Um, if we're talking about this one in particular, I would kind of use it in replace of champagne. Oh yeah. Um, like I've had a French seventy-five made with it, and it came out really well. Um, or anywhere where you're trying to add a little bit of carbonation to a drink. Um, it really works well because it's, it's so heavily carbonated that it really gives a little pop to the drink. Yeah, you pass this as champagne, definitely would be better than... Now I just want to make, make a mimosa with it and call it apples to oranges. Yep. All right. <laughs> we can do that. Uh, and it's so champagne, like I try to promote it as uh, drink it on New Year's Eve instead of, uh, you know, champagne. I feel like champagne is so... Um, like our wine cocktails section is like 85% champagne. Oh, yeah. And it's like most of what you learn when you bartend is champagne, 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 champagne when it comes to wine. I mean, it's changing a little bit. I mean, there's great books like Planet of the Grapes that came out. There's, a, you know, that goes beyond it. But it's either now it's sherry, but I think just subbing anything out for champagne is more interesting. Yeah, you um, can definitely play around with it in that factor. And where, um, here, let's try it. What's the next one? So the next one is a Hogshead. The Hogshead's a New England style cider. A New England style cider has crab apples added to it, and crab apples are one of those ones that you wouldn't eat 
And if you made a cider with just crab apples, it wouldn't be very good. But I've seen crab apples in stores. Aren't they like the little... The little tiny ones. But you can... I've eaten them before. They're not I wouldn't just straight eat one. You can definitely <laughs> bake one and use it in <coughs> the ingredients. Maybe that was a mistake. I mean, I have eaten them. <laughs> yeah. I, I was forced to on training. But they, <laughs> they make you eat all the apples? And you just like, you gotta, you gotta eat the apples. You gotta try them. Those little ones in the stores, they're not crabs. They're just small apples. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, crab apples give a nice tannic effect, like a kind of a wine flavor to cider. Um, it, they're very interesting and makes it a very different component. Um, this one in particular, uh, we add a little bit of molasses to and oak, uh, a little French and American oak. So you have a nice whiskey factor. factor. Um, this is a lot more robust. This one's a lot stronger than the first one we had. This one's 8.5%. No way. Um, so that... Um, that extra sugar really amps it up. And if you let apples naturally ferment out, they do get between 7 and 8%. So this one I would make completely different cocktails out of. I would go more of a heavy whiskey base. Um, I've topped old fashions with it. Um, that worked out really well. You can tell it's oak. Oak, oak staves? Or uh, this one is oak chips. Um, we, we do do ones where we do have um, straight, we do have oak barrel age, um, but this is French and American oak chips. What's the alcohol content? Eight and a half. Wow. Um, so yeah, a lot of ciders are higher ABV. Um, I guess we can talk about the law now because that's definitely a huge factor. Yeah, how does it work? Are you limited, like at a certain point, when does it become wine in when do you get to keep do you sort of push to the red line is it like once you get to like nine is it actually it's even lower um in the eyes of pa law um a, a cider above five and a half percent is considered an apple wine um so what saves it the carbonation huh what saves it from that designation uh i don't know where they came up with the number five and a half percent it's just like that's what they decided on when they made the law so um, so, for instance, this one is 5.5%. We sell this through Shangis, which is a beer distributor. We can sell that in beer distributors. Um, but the other one, um, beer distributors can't legally touch. No way. Um, they're not allowed to sell it. It's supposed to go through the liquor store, but then the liquor stores don't really carry it, so it's in a bit of a gray area. We can self-distribute it under wine law. So I deliver it directly to bars, and I'm basically selling it as a winery. No way. Yeah. So you have to you have to basically have a schizophrenic attitude <laughs> because if it's if it's five and a half percent, you're a beer guy. Yeah. And then once you go to over five and a half percent, then you become a wine guy and you have to partner with all these different things. And yeah. It's very weird to have because you can't put all your eggs in one basket. So it's not like you can go to the liquor store and be like, all right, we're gonna get this much shelving for this space. So how, how have you guys handled that? And, and for, for people that are getting into ciders and PA or this, how are they navigating this kind of weird attitude that we have? Um, well, for one, we actually have two licenses. We do have a brewery license. We also have a brewery that I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but, and then we have a winery license. Um, but what we do is we sell direct. So I, I physically take the order and either I go up to the farm or someone comes down and brings it to me and I and deliver it myself to the bars. Uh, and that's just the only way that we can legally do it. Um, and then, so other ciders from out of state, they're above 10 or 5.5% can't even come into the state. 
Wow. So wow. it's kind of an interesting factor. Like PA has really weird laws. Do you, do you think if we didn't have these laws, that the cider would immediately jump up to the levels that people are drinking it in, in Europe? Like tomorrow, if the laws went away. Do you mean the production level or the alcohol the, content The level? consumption level. Um, not entirely. I think it would have a huge factor. It would definitely be beneficial to the cider market. Um, you know, but you can't just say that the law is the only thing holding it back because I don't think it is. Mm. Um, but that, that definitely is a factor. So is dry cider is the only thing that you are carrying? Is it the only thing that you're, you have the sweeter ones? Uh, we have a slightly sweet one called the Bricks. Uh, it's sweet in an artisanal sense. It has 2% residual sugar. Um, that one's mainly Fuji apples. Um, nice. So it's sweeter, um, but it's not like a super sweet, sugary drink. It's it's more of a authentic cider. Yeah, it doesn't taste like candy, which yeah, is like which apple is. Juice. <laughs> and I I think that's why uh, apple cider had such a stigma with men is people would associate it with this like girly sweet mm -hmm. sugary drink which isn't really fair yeah. uh and it's a shame that people it's so if you're if you're trying to buy this as a, as a regular person how do you get your hands on uh the, the hogshead um well we sell that one at farmers markets obviously this time of year isn't a big thing yeah um we sell it at multiple bars but in terms of to go, it's a bit uh, tough for me in particular to get it in people's hands because a place like the foodery can't sell it. Um, yeah. We do sell it at the farm farm store and at farmer's markets. Uh, and then there's a lot of bars around here that do have it, but they can't sell it to you to go. It's it's like a wine. They can't sell you a wine bottle to go. Wow. So you literally have to go to the bar to enjoy the – it's a good reason to go to the bar. <laughs> yeah. We need it. Well, you know, everyone's like, well, I can just drink it home. And I'm like, well, you, you can't. No, not this one. Not this one. Yep. Um, but we sell a lot at the farmer's markets. Yeah. Um, did you have a question? Question. Um, so this cider versus the traditional cider, is there a great level of fermentation closer to this or to the traditional cider? What do you mean? The rate? Like, I'm tasting it. Uh -huh. I'm not really know if I had a whole cup. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what is asking is how does how does the carbonation how does the fact that it's more heavily carbonated and how does the the alcohol content contribute to intoxication versus your standard lager or something yeah i mean i think it would definitely hit you faster kind of like champagne does like just kind of like goes right to your head uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then obviously the, the eight and a half percent the thing about um this cider in particular and some of our other ciders is they're high abv but they don't taste it so, like, if you don't know, you'll drink it rather quickly. Where if you have a 10% beer, it's big and malty, and, like, you don't want to sip it fast because you can taste the booze. But in these, you don't even know how strong they are. Yeah. With this, like, <laughs> the other thing that's really cool is um, because it's just a little bit bitter, it's just a little bit dry, it leaves your mouth dry, so you always want to drink more yeah, of it. keeps you going. Yeah. So, like it's, it. uh, <laughs> it, it'll get you. This isn't... Uh, the one that really gets people is our uh, our Krabby Granny. I wasn't able to bring any today because we're sold out of bottles. Wow. Um, but it is a 10% sizer. A sizer is a cider made with honey. So it's kind of a beer mead or a cider mead hybrid. Um, we add the cider or add the honey unfermented. Um, and then that really ups the alcohol content. Uh, that particular one is mainly crab apples and Gurney Smith apples, which gives it a, a nice tartness. The honey gives it a little bit of sweetness, um, but it's 10%. It doesn't taste like it at all. 
I've had an, a bartender describe it as apple juice that will get you blackout drunk. <laughs> oh, that, that sounds fantastic. Gold Wasn't my words. <laughs> right? uh, but so something like that is is very different, and it's a very different flavor profile than this one, where this is more robust. That that one's more uh, light drinking, but still has like a good backbone. Now, can you talk about sort of the history of Freak on Farms a little bit? Because they opened right at the end of the Second World War, mm -hmm. uh, and it's been family owned since then. And were they always doing these kinds of ciders, or how did they? sort of how did this grow into and, and what percentage of, of it was it used to be just apple picking or how did it grow how did it evolve and how did you guys start doing this it was definitely a farm first um it started in 1944 as a family-owned farm um they had their own orchard they did everything themselves um they've only always been very closely connected to the community and the town there um they've done pick your owns for years uh and they sell to farmers markets so it was always just a farm and then eventually along the way, um, they started making cider um, for themselves mostly. Uh, and then they, you know, turned out really well. So they decided to start producing it commercially. Um, and then, you know, I came along a bit thereafter. But they been, haven't been at it that long. So it's definitely a farm way longer than it's been a cidery. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like it's kind of, it's almost an American version of, of those European, like the how the same thing happened and there was a farm and there were monks and they're like, well, it's winter. We might as well make beer. Uh, and it sort of happened naturally in the U S versus, you know, a lot of these businesses, they were kind of every aspect of it was engineered before they opened where they knew what the market was. They had a business plan, they had investors and this one, it was very organic, mm -hmm. which makes it kind of feel more rustic in, in a lot of ways. And how do you, if you want to visit, how far away is it? Can you tour the, can you tour the brewery? Can you tour the cidery? Can you tour the farm? What do you do? Uh, it's Boyertown, PA, which is uh, about a little over an hour from here. Unless you go during rush hour, then it's like two hours. Um, we do, uh, in the fall, we do pick your own, where you can go to the farm on the weekends, pick your own apples, uh, and buy as many apples as you want. Um, we have two festivals throughout the year. We have the Wassail that will be in the spring. Um, that is when we have all our ciders being uh, released. Um, contrary to popular belief, like the cider, the hard ciders are ready in the spring. So we pick the apples in the fall, but it's not actually alcohol to the spring. Um, so it's it's a big festival for us. It's a lot of fun. You can come up. There's a ton of music, a ton of fun. And then we have Pick Fest in the fall, which is when we're actually picking the apples. Um, that's usually in October. And those are good times to go up to the farm and visit, uh, and everything's kind of open to you. In terms of tours of the actual cidery, um, we don't really do tours. I can set up private tours and stuff like that. Um, but it's not generally open to the public because it, it's a working farm. Um, there's people picking apples and producing and, and boxing up apples. So it's always, always stuff going on. The brew pub is right in the middle of the town. Um, we have music there on the weekends, almost all the time, really. Um, and you can go and drink and uh, have a good time. There's food. and uh, The ciders are usually on draft at the brewery as well, um, so you can kind of get both out of the way. And then there's a farm store where we actually sell all the fruits that we grow, uh, as well as a bunch of local producers of cheeses and all those kind of jazz. So it's kind of like a small farmer's market store. So those are three different places all within this nice little town. It's very relaxing up there. Wow. How often do you go up there? I go up there probably every other week. Um, I basically go up there 
when I need to either pick up product, pick up samples, uh, I go and, and help bottle or help keg or do whatever's going on. Uh, and then I always go up there for the festivals. So your role is very different from what we're used to thinking of as a brand ambassador, where you wear a nice suit, you buy stuff for people, and you smile, and then you do it again in another city. You're you're very hands-on, and you're part of the whole process, and you bottle. What what's that experience been like, and what was it like to transition from like you know your regular day-to-day -day working bartender uh, to doing these kinds of duties? And is it it seems like it's a more rewarding job than uh, just sort of going around and saying, hey, this is our new vodka. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of fun. I do a lot of events where, you know, I go and I go and have a good time and I make sure everyone else is having a good time. Uh, I drink the cider. Um, what's really great about it is it's a product I really stand behind. I'm not trying to go bar to bar and push something like, please buy this. I'm like, you want to buy this. It's delicious. Um, so I, I really stand behind it and that makes it more fun. So I basically on my day to day go to bars with samples and and let people try it and tell them about it and then hopefully they buy it and then when they do buy it I get to go back and drink it um, so it's a win-win for everybody and in Boyertown do they because we had uh, Rob Mullane and he was uh, he was like in Ireland nobody knows that Irish whiskey is like the next big thing they still think it's just a bunch of old guys like drinking by the fire how is like Boyertown dealing with this sort of explosion that's going on with the product getting more popular every year where you can't not only you can't meet demand but all most of your profit is being reinvested just to make the place bigger are people noticing or is it still just like the farm down the road it's not a big deal yet uh i mean a lot of people know it more as the farm and it's like in in that area like it's pre-kind it's a big part of that town um my boss walks around like he's the mayor everyone knows him um but they know him <laughs> as the as the farm and they know that they know the cidery there's a lot of really good bars out there um, that carry the product and know the product and they're kind of you know like a city bar cutting edge with craft beer and then there's also a lot of bars out there that I feel are like 10 years behind and still just have macro beers on and you know it's not when you leave the city you see like how small towns are still small towns um, obviously the people growing up are like love the cider and know all about it but there's some old people in town that just want their butt yeah, it's I, it's weird because I feel like everything that has ever happened in a bar is still happening somewhere. Yeah. Like from the 1890s, everybody's wearing these starch white jackets. And like they still do that in Japan. They still do that in, in, in Italy. And you'll have the 90s Tom Cruise partners. We still have guys like that. And we have the craft cocktail we feel from the 1920s. So everything, every point in history still exists, yeah. uh, which is kind of weird. You can you can still get everything, which is what which is, it makes the community really weird. Like you can still get fuzzy navels, you can still get um, these sort of grasshoppers, um, and I think that's kind of weird and kind of cool at the same time. Yeah, some of the bars I went to, I was amazed at the, the prices. They had such low prices for you know beers and and just regular mixed drinks. I'm like, what? Like the, that would be like eight dollars in the city. Yeah. And these were these were all around the the small town. How how much does life change? I mean, we live in Pennsylvania, and we never in Philly you never notice it because it's such a big city. But you drive an hour, and it's it's so different. Are there people there that have never left the town that have been sort of in the farm their whole lives, or is it it's not that bad? Oh uh, no, it's definitely like that kind of small town. But then there's a ton of the the younger people that are like 
you know, they were raised in that town. They've always been there, but now they're, they're seeing the way and they come to the city and do stuff. And like, they're kind of growing up with the industry. So that's, that's always, you know, good to know. Yeah. That's happening. Yeah. And awesome stuff. So thank you guys very much. We're going to open it up for more questions. If you guys have any. Good. Good stuff, man. Okay. Exciting. Yeah. Cool. So thank you guys um, very much. And I do have a couple other ciders I want to talk about. Um, we do make a sour cider as well. Um, oh, now I see some reds perk. Yeah. Um, you say sour in bar <laughs> always. That's why I was like, oh, no, yeah, you, got, you can't stop there. Um, our sour cider is a, uh, a blend of a couple different ciders. Um, we use a high ABV crab, um, crabby granny. Uh, we use a Hogshead Reserve, which is a higher ABV of this version with raisins. Uh, and then we blend those with uh, one other cider, and we blend that, and it sits in an apple brandy barrel for um, two years with uh, Britannomyces and Lactobacillus. Is that the Heritage one was I reading about? Uh, it's a, it's like under the uh, estate. Uh, estate, okay. Uh, no, yeah, the, the, I know what you're talking about, the Heritage one. That, one? <laughs> um, that one is... Yeah. <laughs> Field trip, guys. Field trip. Yeah, that one's mainly at the farm. Um, it's such a small production. Um, some of it has made its way down in the city for whenever I do events. I try to make sure that that's there. Um, but that's one of the the higher higher demand one, but lower quantity. Because it, it, since it takes two years to produce, we have no idea what people are going to want two years from now. So More of that. Yeah. yeah probably more of that. <laughs> but two years ago, we didn't quite have that. So every year we're doing more and more of that. Um, so how that one's you, really fun. I want to make sure that I how do you that. build it? You just build more tanks or more of this, or, or where, where's the reinvesting money going? And is it is it, are we like in five years? Is it going to change completely and be this industry? Is it going to be the Heineken factory? No, we'll or, never do that. Um, <laughs> we do want to get bigger and better, but we're never going to sell out or, or go to any great extremes. My mom loves the Heineken factory, but I know what you mean. Um, we're constantly planting more trees and uh, you know buying more systems and, and trying to always be growing um, and you know we buy more brandy barrels um, stuff like that where do you so, get these apple brandy barrels? Uh, they're Laird's Laird's? yeah so definitely good barrels yeah I saw them in the back I was like what's that? Mm -hmm. um, and then something else I want to talk about was the uh, Pennsylvania Cider Guild um, which we haven't really touched on at all. That's a, um, it's a combination of multiple cideries, um, all in PA. They don't all produce their own apples, um, but they all produce their own cider. Um, and they are one of the biggest parts of trying to change the law. So we're kind of banding together, um, meeting with politicians, trying to get things going to try to change that 5.5% Are they trying to get some kind of like cider, almost like historical heritage ex like exemption or something? Because when we started the U.S., everyone was drinking cider. If you didn't drink cider, you're going to get health insurance because water was so much more dangerous. <laughs> Nobody was going to give you health insurance if you didn't. Yeah, you didn't know this. In colonial times, no one was going to be health insurance if you, if, you were, if you didn't drink alcohol. I knew that everyone drank it. That would, ins that would be insane. That's like, you know, they had, they had the first Thanksgiving, I found out, because less than half the people died. Like, they were celebrating, they're like, it's not as bad as we thought, only half of us died a little bit less. So it was it was bad. Um, so is there anything they can do? Are they trying to push for, like, a special designation if it's made out of apples and it's bubbles? Can they give them a break? Or um, They are definitely playing on the historical factor, especially because a lot of these farms are, you know, have history. Um, and we do... Uh, work with the uh, 
Historical Agricultural Society and all sorts of companies like that to try to get things going. Um, just any support that we can. Um, it just, you know, that adds to the reasons why we, sh we should change these laws. It's like this is, you know, this is way before these laws existed. This is the way it was. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, and we wish you luck. I, I really want to do uh, play on with more the things that were traditionally part of like rye whiskey and, and cider and all this stuff. And, and it's weird that we don't see that as much in Philadelphia cocktails as you'd think, because we're a pretty historical city and a lot of our cocktails are very historical. We're not really doing snow cones like, like LA or Tilsa cocktail. We're not going nuts in that direction. So you think there's be a lot of space for this. Are there any bars right now that, that you like to go to or visit? And a tree can't really do much with cocktails, uh, but that that you really like to go for cider cocktails, or that that would be a good place to start for somebody. Uh, for cider cocktails, or just in general, both okay. open ended. Uh, well, uh, I've actually worked with the people at Franklin Mortgage, and they've done some cider cocktails for me. Um, obviously, that's a good bar in itself. Mm -hmm. um, and then some other bars, like uh, uh, what I've been doing recently. Um, especially getting ready for this particular thing, is I've just been going to the bars, particularly the ones that have my cider on draft, and asking the bartender for a cider cocktail. And he's like, "Well, yeah, what do you want?" I was like, "I don't know. You can tell me." <laughs> and uh, they, they, a lot of them go have fun with it. And you see them kind of like turn around and look at the liquor. And, and do they know who you are at that point? Or yeah, it's just, usually well, the mustache. Like, they, they kind of know that. You're, <laughs> You've got something going on. But I'm like, do something with my cider. And they're yeah. like, hmm. Um, I've had Dark and Stormies with it. I've had a Pimp's Cup with it. And it's just like, so, you know, something. Some, sometimes just like, yeah, for that and a shot of whiskey on the side. Yeah. That, that's a thing, too. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> Boilermaker's always good last Yeah, time. that's, that's you just do a shot of whiskey. No, that, that, that counts. Yeah. Um, I want to work with Art in the Ages and do something with their snap. Yeah. Um, I've done just snap in it, which works really well, but something more elaborate would be cool. Yeah. Um, and then we also mix it with beer a lot. Mm. Uh, beer and cider cocktails are a huge thing. Obviously, uh, black velvet and the standard ones where you drink, mix it with a stout or a lager. Um, we do one from our brewery, um, the other firm's brewery. Um, we do one, it's called, um, well, it's called the Lamb's Wool. The Lambswool is a blend of our drink ale, which is our beer side, the brewery side. It's a um, it's a dark beer with lightly spiced, and then it has spruce tips instead of hops. Um, comes out really nice. And then we blend that with our wassail, which is our holiday cider, um, which is a blend of different ciders as well, just like the sour cider, but not sour. Um, and that one, I come think it comes out at like 9.5%. Uh, and you blend those two into a hot drink. Wow. Uh, and then there's multiple different recipes that you can go with from there. At the brewery, they do a malt spice. Uh, when I do it, I do it with a um, uh, cinnamon stick, starring yeast, uh, and then I put some cloves right into an apple uh, and heat that up in like a crock pot or something like that. No way. And then we serve it with a little um, uh, apple cake and a slice of apple over top so it gets all warm, a little nutmeg, and that drink is delicious. Uh, I'll be doing events around the city with that. Um, oh, fantastic! Once it finally actually gets cold, <laughs> I think I think people are psychologically cold. I think it has March, to do with when the April, sun sets. Yeah. yeah. No, I we're gonna pay for this. Like, make no mistake. It's gonna be cold. 
Philadelphia doesn't give with Bohannon. So when we're gonna <laughs> when we uh, when we when it does get cold, we're gonna do that hot blend, and then also making cocktails with um, just regular uh, non alcoholic cider is a little more traditional, a little more something that people now aren't used to. Awesome stuff. Um, but yeah, I'd be interested to see what you guys come up with with cider cocktails if you want to just go at it. Yeah. I think I think we're going to play around with this some events. If you can, um, well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll play a little bit, especially with the dad's hut stuff. I'd like to pair this. Okay. And we'll see what happens. Maybe burn, light something on fire. All right. I like where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. So any other questions, guys? Good. Okay. Awesome stuff. All right.